expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. This is Taiwan Talk. This is Taiwan Talk on ICRT. Hello and welcome to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Keith Manconi. If you write up something clever or design something new, it's pretty clear how you'll get compensated. You'll get a copyright, and if anyone wants to use the thing you've made, they got to throw a few bucks your way. But what if it's not a thing you've made, but something that's come out of your cultural heritage, like a song or a craft that's so woven into the fabric of your traditions, no one knows exactly where it came from originally? Who gets to decide how it's used then? This is, in fact, a question that Taiwan's Aboriginal people have faced for years. And as we'll hear in a moment, not having an answer has meant that many traditional works haven't gotten the recognition they deserve. Well, something of an answer did come out earlier this year when new regulations came into force allowing Taiwan's indigenous people to apply for intellectual property rights over cultural creations. To tell us a little bit about what this new law is going to mean for indigenous people, I spoke with Yapusuyongu Poisonu of the Council of Indigenous Peoples. Just a quick note, this interview was in Chinese and ICRT's Eric Gao is going to be helping out with the translation. I started our conversation by asking why indigenous people wanted to get this law passed in the first place. There's a background story to this law. The drafting process for the law began all the way back in 1999. It came to the attention of many Aboriginal people here in Taiwan that a European musical group had taken the tune from an Ami tribe song without the permission of the original composer. In another incident, ceremonial urns made by the Paiwan tribe were turned into a popular mass consumer product. Because of these experiences, a lot of natives wanted a law to protect traditional arts and culture, and we started drafting this law. This law would make changes on several levels. If someone wants to use a piece of traditional Aboriginal culture, whether it be songs or clothes or rituals, they will have to receive permission from the tribe. So is this a response in any way to uh, fears of commercialization of your culture or, or uh, appropriation of your culture? Well, I would say there's a lot of examples of that. There was the Lanyu round symbol used on fishing boats. It's interesting looking and unique, so a lot of manufacturers used it on t-shirts and at events. However, this symbol is holy to the Yame people. It symbolizes the protection of the gods. The Yame people are happy that their culture is receiving attention, but they still don't want this holy symbol to be used in such a way. So they want to use this law to protect their culture and rights. So you're saying this would give the tribes a little bit more uh, say in how their culture gets used? Yes, with these laws, if tribes don't want others to use their intellectual property, they have this protection. They can use this law to refuse. If someone uses that property without permission, this law also makes it possible for them to gain damages for that illegal use. So what's the biggest issue, would you say, here? Are, are, are tribes most interested in uh, gaining monetary compensation for their culture, uh, or, or is there something else here? There are two things this law is directed at. 
First, natives don't want some parts of their culture to be commercialized. For example, unique patterns or ceremonial songs. They want the protection of the law so that they can keep the culture within their tribe. Second, of course, natives may also have financial concerns in mind when pushing for this law. They feel tribes should benefit from the monetary value of these things, which are being commercialized. So, if you're not from the tribe and you wish to use their intellectual property, you need to receive permission from the tribe, and the tribe may ask for monetary compensation. It is a possibility. So, how is this money that these tribes are going to be making? I mean, how is this money going to actually、uh, be distributed? Who decides who gets what, and、uh, how is it going to be used? The current rules stipulate that if they make any money by licensing the IP, a group fund will be created under the village's name where the money will be deposited. A board will be created to manage that fund. The board has to discuss if and how the money will be used. They are making this money because it's related to their traditional culture, so the way the funds can be used face certain restrictions. They have to be used to maintain the village's culture, or for publishing, or for paying for education programs. The money can also be used to hold events related to culture or the arts. The money can only be used if it is somehow related to the village's culture. Those are the rules as they stand now. So, just to help everyone wrap their head around、uh, what exactly this law is going to mean, I mean, I think we're all familiar with a, a normal copyright, but、uh, this seems like a little bit different. Here, you're actually copywriting some aspect of your culture, some you know cultural heritage. Can you explain how that's different from you know this more normal kind of copyright that we're more familiar with? 呃，因为我们现在保护的是一个呃所谓的传统舞蹈了啊。那传统舞蹈它其实 To illustrate the difference between a normal copyrighted material and traditional material, let's take the example of a traditional dance. 因为我们现在这个传统作为传统的保护跟现代的著作权法最大的差异就是 The biggest difference in protection for traditional and modern dances is that the traditional ones have been passed down for a long time, and we can't find the originators, so it's treated as being created by a group. For a modern dance, it's normally pretty clear. Who the creator is, so there is a separation. So he, he, he is have a separate rights. He has no right to copyright protection. Productions already covered by creative protections can't apply to be covered by the traditional protections. Our application reviewers will spend a lot of time trying to determine if it can be considered traditional, or if they can tell that it's an individual's work. If they can tell who it was created by, then it cannot be protected by this law. So, in hearing you talk about this, and in the little bit of reading、uh, I've done,、uh, it does sound like getting this law right and getting this whole process right has been, you know, a pretty complicated task.、Uh, you mentioned that the drafting process began all the way back in 1999.、Um, in reading about this, I learned that this law was actually passed back in 2007, but、uh, since then. You know, there's been a lot of work done to work with the tribes, figure out what they need to make this law work, figuring out how they make、uh, decisions within the tribe so that they can all, you know, apply in a way that works for them. And so you've been working all of that out since 2007.、Uh, so a pretty involved process. Do you think that indigenous people in other countries 
uh, have anything to learn from Taiwan's experience? Will Taiwan be something of a model uh, for other countries where indigenous people are facing similar issues? Actually, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization has been thinking about this problem since 1990. So it has published some papers and regional declarations on this topic. They say that folklore needs to be protected. After this announcement, they created two different ways to handle this issue. One is to have the traditional or indigenous creations receive special protections under the standard intellectual property laws already in place. The other is the method that Taiwan used, which is to create special laws specifically designed to protect these things. It is my understanding that Taiwan is the only country in the world to use this method, as most other countries use the first method, covering these matters in the standard protection laws. The achievements of this process should give other countries some encouragement in their own efforts. I think in the future, there will be a lot of countries seeking to learn from our experiences. We've been speaking to Yapasuyongu Poisonu of the Council of Indigenous Peoples. As always, you can find this interview, along with a whole lot more, online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. Thanks for listening for Taiwan Talk. I'm Keith Manconi.